welcome to Very Amusing, your one-stop shop for the stories, secrets, and shenanigans of a popcorn-fueled theme park journalist. I'm Carly Wiesel, and who boy, I am deep in the holiday season. And I'm not even talking Shrek-sember. I'm talking that my weekends are now jam-packed with festive stuff, and it's incredible. But I'm recording this on Sunday night, and I feel like I've lived so many lives only in this weekend. And a lot of it was weirdly podcast related. On Friday night, I went to my friend Jeffrey Epstein's holiday party, which was incredible. Jeffrey hosts D23's Inside Disney podcast, which I highly recommend. And then on Saturday, I went to a basketball game. Me, me who knows nothing about sports, was shocked to find out that the opposing team's mascot doesn't travel with them. I don't know what that's about. They definitely have budget for it. All the mascots should be there, but I guess that's not normal. But I learned a ton of things about sports, <laughs> including that uh, at so at Clippers games, it was a, a Clippers versus Magic. And at Clippers games, if the opposing team misses two free throws, then everybody gets free Chick-fil-A. Isn't that terrible? <laughs> Can you imagine like just doing your thing, trying to perform at the highest elite level and everyone is booing you because they want free sandwiches? Free sandwiches hang in the balance? It's too much pressure. I can't even imagine doing that job. But I had some cheese fries with the good cheese, not that garbage nonsense cheese with the peel top that I will go to my grave fighting against. And I also got to see, da 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 da, our season three hidden Mickey Robin Lopez. It was so nice to say hi to him after the game and to have what I am now calling our second official meeting of the Robin Hood Hot or Not Debate Club. I remain unswayed. I've gotten the calls, I've seen the tweets, I've seen the Instagram messages. Robin Hood? Sorry, I don't see it. I am a goofy woman through and through, and I disagree that I need to be a Robin Hood person. I respect everyone's point of view, but for me, Goofy is the the only Disney man that I need. The only Disney man, or the only Disney man with dog-like features that I need. Allow me to correct myself. Now, that wasn't all I did this weekend. I also went over to friend of the podcast, Jamie Loftus's hot dog mixer. I guess that's what you'd call it. All I know is that if you remember how I was very obsessed with the fact that I got to see the Wienermobile a few weeks ago, Jamie got the Wienermobile, got the hot doggers to drive over for a little Saturday afternoon cookout with free hot dogs. You can get a whistle. Yeah, I got another whistle. Don't worry. I got two whistles now. I'm swimming in hot dog whistles. And Jamie and I finally got to hang out in person. Now, Jamie is cemented in the Shrek Hall of Fame, not just for having a long, years-long lineage of Shrek fandom and a new story out in Paste, I believe all about that, but also for being in our Shrek Retold episode from Shrek Sember 2020. And if you recall last week's episode, she's the only reason that I know about our dear Shrekspert, Dr. Sam Summers. It's a small world out there, people. It is a small world. Sometimes, sometimes the internet is good. And if that weren't enough, yes, there is still more. I just went to Universal City Walk to get my booster in a lower level of the Jurassic parking garage, which is truly the most 2021 moment I've had in a while. Going to a cinematic themed parking garage to go get a life-saving vaccine. <laughs> and I mention it not just because it's hilarious, 
But for my LA listeners, there are no appointments online for boosters anywhere in LA County. I don't know if you've experienced this, but I surely have. But I got a tip that this one is open every day from 12 to 4, and they take walk-ins, and I was seen immediately. So if you are looking for a place to go, they're open every day, and it is highly recommended. If you don't have an AP like I am, so you can sneak in with free parking, even though you're not actually going to the park, uh, just say you're there for the COVID vaccine clinic, and they'll discount your parking to like 15 bucks, which is still very expensive. Uh, Anyone who's listening to this not from LA is probably like, what? As for us, we're so used to paying so much money to park our little cars that it feels somewhat normal. But regardless, better get. You should just, if if I was allowed to organize your life, you should just go and get a vaccine and then go to the theater and see West Side Story, which is freaking fantastic. Oh my God, best movie of the year. Run to go see it. Leap to go see it. Jete to go see it. But then also get your parking refunds when it only costs you five bucks. Five bucks parking, vaccine. You get to enjoy Spielberg doing his finest work. It's, inc- it's the perfect day. That's what I highly recommend for anyone who hasn't gotten boosted yet. And shout out to Millie and her mom, Mo. Uh, Mo, thank you so much for saying hi. I hope you didn't hear me yell when the uh, medical professional administering the shot asked me how I was doing. And I slightly loudly yelled, I'm nervous. Uh, I, I hope you didn't hear that. But now I'm t- I'm admitting it publicly. So I guess it's a moot point. But anyway, it was, it was a great weekend. I hope all of your holiday celebrations involved just as many cheese fries and Robin Hood stuff and hot dogs and uh, not needles, but uh, uh, health, uh, uh, healthcare worker appreciation is mine did. And with that, I don't think, I mean, I don't think I have anything else. Let's just go right into this week's dose of Shrek's Ember, which, ooh, if I got a booster today for my health, this one will surely boost your Shrek spirits. Stick around. There's more fantastic jokes where that came from. And welcome back to this week's Shrek Sember festivities. We're taking it to the human equivalent of a swamp today. Yes, an indoor water park in East Rutherford, New Jersey. It's called DreamWorks Water Park, and it's a masterful rendition of the worlds of Madagascar, How to Train Your Dragon, Kung Fu Panda, and most importantly, Shrek, inside North America's largest indoor water park. If this all sounds vaguely familiar, it's because it's housed within American Dream, formerly known as Xanadu, the massive mall at the Meadowland Sports Complex. And because I totally went here for my birthday this past June. Yeah, I drove out from New York City to go for a dip in the eight and a half acre swamp and to see the Shrek balloon hanging over the pool firsthand. A shirtless Shrek in swim trunks. What could be better? Well, how about talking to the person who was in charge of creating all of it? Yes, this week we are talking to Don Carson, an art director, designer, and master of themed experiences. Don has worked for Walt Disney Imagineering, for Universal Theme Parks, for the Jim Henson Company, but through his work at the Henema Group, served as the senior art director and lead on DreamWorks Water Park, meaning the water slide experiences like Shrek's Sinkhole Slammer, Swamp and Splash, and Dragon and Dronky's Flight, complete with a Shrek statue in the middle of a spiral bowl and a ride exit that looks exactly like Dragon. You exit out of the Dragon's mouth. Don was the brains behind creating an experience that's closest to what it would actually be like to flop in the mud alongside our Shrek Sember King. If you've ever wondered how to tell a story with water slides, this week's episode has got it all. Ready to make a splash? Here's Don Carson himself telling us all about how to build a Shrek water park. Don 
welcome to Very Amusing. Thanks for having me. I would just love to start by you telling me your role in the creation of DreamWorks Water Park and essentially what you oversaw in the process. Uh, you bet. I work for the Hedema Group uh, under Phil Hedema, and um, we do a lot of various projects, everything from observation uh, floors in high-rises over New York to theme park attractions. And um, the DreamWorks Water Park was an interesting one uh, because we were handed pretty much a finished design water park and given the job on a budget to transform it into a DreamWorks uh, water park. So I was the senior art director. I worked with a very small team. And our job was to find a way to transform a space large enough to park two Hindenburgs with an immersive environment that transported you into the worlds of DreamWorks. Oh, my God. I was out here thinking that perhaps you had, you know, gone real blue sky with it, thinking of different types of water slides you could put in. But the constraints almost make it more interesting. Yeah, it usually we do participate in that. It's usually the theme and the rides go hand in hand. But uh, American Dream really, really wanted to sort of have the biggest, the best, the tallest, the fastest. And so when they were shopping for creating their water park, they basically did that at the time. All of those were kind of the state of the art and there just wasn't anything like it. Uh, and a lot of the design was dictated by just the size of the wave pool. And how do you cover that and air condition that when you're in New York State. Oh, stones throw away from Manhattan. Yeah, you can literally see the skyline from in there. Mm -hmm. Yes. Not, not like I made it a point to visit <laughs> or anything. <laughs> uh, I, I love it there. I love an indoor water park more than anything. And this one is fabulous. So hats off to you. Thank you. So when you were handed this, were you given the sort of breakout neighborhoods, if you'd call them, themed to the different franchises, or did you bring that in? Uh, that's all the work that we did. Uh, we were just given the structure. And then the structure was sort of form follows function. It was, one first and foremost, it was big enough to hold that all those rides and the wave pool. And they also really wanted to highlight that amazing view of Manhattan out the, the window. And uh, that was it. Uh, they did want uh, DreamWorks. And the Hedema Group, for a while, was sort of uh, DreamWorks' chosen sort of theme park company, sort of DreamWorks' own Imagineering. And so we had worked quite extensively with Jeffrey Katzenberg and all of the various producers of the various movie IPs uh, for on many projects. So it was a good fit for us to sort of step in. The biggest challenge was that, like I said, the building was already designed, had been like almost a year before we came along. And, uh, and then how do you transform such a giant space into these amazingly rich worlds? So we did decide to create regions so that the IPs had their own location. And we realized early on that there was going to be no way on the budget we had and the volume of space that we had, as well as the competing with a very industrial sort of exposed air-conditioned ducts and things like that. How do you transport people into the world of Shrek or Madagascar, Kung Fu Panda, or How to Train Your Dragon? So rather than do that, we decided that you were going to the American Dream Water Park, and so were the characters. And so when the DreamWorks characters show up, they actually sort of infuse the environments with the, their, their personalities. Uh, so um, Madagascar, you could imagine when they arrived, looked just like a regular water park. By the time they were done with it, it was a full-on jungle, as well as uh, you know, Shrek and Kung Fu Panda. 
And so that became sort of the guiding force for the design. And the other one was that we knew that we couldn't afford to build 90 foot tall palm trees that look like real palm trees. So we leaned really, really heavily to certainly the films, but also the art of books, which treated a lot of their the initial designs very graphically. So uh, that would allow us to make very, very graphic representations of all the foliage and all the props. It also would allow us to make them in materials that would um, be able to be the size that they are. And on top of it, the area where that water park is uh, built is over like a bog. You know, it's a, it's a swamp area. It's a wetlands. And uh, things sink in wetlands. So uh, things couldn't be really, really heavy. Uh, so hand-in-hand uh, hand with our vendors, we sort of came up with light ways to produce huge uh, set pieces. And so uh, one of our vendors came up with a way of using the same material that's used for air, con air conditioned ducts, the metal. And uh, they were able to fabricate these giant palm trees uh, and date trees and leaves and you name it um, out of lightweight metal so that it wouldn't press down on the foundation and sink into the bog uh, and could be as big as it needed to be to compete with the, the sheer volume of that much air and that much structure. Yeah. For anyone who hasn't been there, it is it is as wide as it is tall. Like when you're standing there, it's vast, but also some of the experiences are so high. Just like everything you can see across the entire realm of DreamWorks Water Park is big. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. It is. And also up there on the like the 15th floor or whatever where that the biggest drops are, uh, it's a little vertigo-y. You know, you're you're looking through palm leaves, but uh yeah, only the brave go that high. <laughs> I did not go that high. <laughs> See, it's so interesting to hear that because the references to these films and particularly Shrek and its characters range from subtle to very overt. I mean, there, uh, there's one experience where you have this spiral bowl of a multi-person tube ride where there's a huge Shrek figurine in the middle, but then you also exit out of Dragon's mouth. How difficult was it to render these, specifically to render a character as a physical exit of a slide? Uh, we had a long list of things that we thought were sort of wish list things that you'd like to have an experience for. Also, you have big tubes. What are you going to do? To and, and a lot of the tubes you can't necessarily, with the exception of the color, apply theming to. So the idea of sticking Dragon's head at the exit of one of the big, the big red slides uh, seemed like an obvious choice to us. Uh, Having you slide underneath Shrek while he's sitting on his outhouse was less obvious. Uh, <laughs> it was definitely a choice that the client want, really wanted. And they were we like, no, 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 Shrek has to be pooping? <laughs> he, I, well, that was, that's, that's what they wanted. So we thought that's okay. We'll just go to Jeffrey Katzenberg and we'll say, you know, there's just no way that we're going to be able to do this. And he said, no, I like it. I think it's funny. So there we go. <laughs> wait, 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 wait. You're telling me that the approval to build a larger-than-life figure of Shrek going to the bathroom was fully signed off by from Jeffrey Katzenberg? It was green-lit. <laughs> I think you mean brown-lit? <laughs> yes, maybe, maybe. And I guess it was in keeping with his character. It is something that is 
is not seen, is only seen briefly as you're experiencing it. It's not something that's really obvious. It's sort of an Easter egg of sorts that happens uh, as you're on that family side. So yeah, so uh, when Jeffrey says that that's an acceptable gag, then you do it. Oh my God. Do you usually go to the top for all that kind of stuff? Or is it only for, well, you know, large scale renderings? Well, one of the joys of working with Jeffrey Katzenberg at the time when he was the head of DreamWorks was that there was only one person that you had to get, get buy off for. That's not true of many corporations where you end up having to talk to 50 people with all their various agendas before something gets greenlit. So if Jeffrey did not like it, it did not get built. But if he did like it, it did. And so it was a joy to work with him for that very reason. And he was all on board. Uh, it, it seemed like a hard sell to, to, to try to boil down these amazingly rich worlds and characters into such sort almost like paper pop-up cutout kind of representations on the scale that we were talking about. But he liked it. And he thought it was a really good way to, uh, to represent those IPs and get it out in the world. Wow. So what was the time frame of you working on uh, this experience? Was it a few years? Was it longer than that? Well, uh, we, my first sketch, I just looked back on it, was in 2013. And it didn't open for seven more years. A lot of that was just sort of the realities of that, that particular project. And um, so we would dive in, we would work hard and heavy on it. And then maybe a year or two would go by where we wouldn't we wouldn't work on it and then back we would go and then finally everything was greenlit checks were signed and we were in the field you know art directing the pieces that they were being installed and uh, that was an amazing experience too just because of the sheer scale of a whole entire real size plane hanging off of a big drop or that big dragon head Oh my gosh. And so given that kind of time frame and the constraints you were under within the space and what you were given and the weight, is there anything in the Shrek section or in any other section that you kind of dreamt up and hoped you'd be able to build, but ultimately weren't able to for a very practical reason like that? Well, never ask the designer about their feelings about any finished product, because there's always a long list of things that just out of necessity and cost didn't get in. And we definitely had a lot of things that that both we and the client really wanted additionally that just for just the realities of the project and the expense of, of pulling it off. So, um, but there's also when budgets get cut, and often we call this process value engineering, uh, is that uh, you come up with solutions that you wouldn't have come with otherwise. And one of those, the, the Lazy River originally, we had designed a lot of additional uh, set pieces. And uh, because you're constantly sort of competing with sort of the industrial nature of the space, uh, when we, we realized we just could not do that, the, the level of complexity and depth, we came up with a very graphic approach using uh, silk screened uh, tiles that sort of gave the, the feel for the various IPs without necessarily overtly creating, uh, you know, characters that were recognizable in the space. Uh, and also, since we also come from the theme park business, when you get used to building something for $500 million, when you're building it for a fraction of that, you have to remind yourself, this is not a ride. This is a place people are going to hang out and have fun. How can you leverage that fun to make going to an indoor water park just that much more pleasurable and not just, you know, colorful, you know, fiberglass slides? Yep. Is there any aspect of it on the flip side that you are most proud of now that it's open to the public? Um, I think just the scale of it. 
And really, the, um, when we were designing it, because it was so hard to wrap your head around just how big that structure was, one of the design philosophies we, ha we had was we would only color those things that we touch, you know, as far as the design is concerned. Uh, the, whole, the entire American Dream Mall has white or sort of an off-white as its sort of theme that is in everywhere. It's also in the, in the theme park as well, amusement park. Uh, and so uh, it was a gamble to say anything that is not a, a DreamWorks property is just going to be treated in white with the idea that the, the contrast between the white walls, the white air conditioned ducts and this, all that stuff would uh, fall away uh, next to the very brightly colored flumes and the set pieces. And I think I'm most gratified that, although I would have filled it with twice as much stuff, that the stuff that is there does stand out against that white. And it allows for them both to coexist without there being a, why is there a jungle in this big aircraft carrier uh, building? You know, uh, the, um, it, it, it just seems to work. And I think people are willing to forgive the structure for the, the story and the theme we're trying to tell. Yeah. And having been there, it, you nailed it. It looks great. Oh, that's good news. <laughs> I'd love to talk about the large, I guess, balloon-like figures on top. There is this huge shirtless, shirtless Shrek hanging up next to the New York City skyline. What What is he made of? How is that created? And how does he stay inflated permanently? Probably the absolute first thing we designed when we were going in there and trying to figure out how we're going to deal with this space was we knew that there needed to be some sort of celebratory centerpiece, sort of the cake topper. And uh, we and also it was something that potentially was going to be viewable from the turnpike at night. You could look at, actually see whatever this thing is hanging from the ceiling. And so our original design was uh, Chinese lanterns, that they would be large stylized lanterns that would hang and be illuminated at night. Now the park isn't open at night mostly, other than special events. So it would be something that would mostly be seen from, from outside, but we wanted that to glow. So when we got into creating, finding a vendor that could produce giant Chinese lanterns that lit from the inside. Um, we were having a difficult time because of the amount of structure that wouldn't be necessary to hold what was basically something to represent rice paper, you know, stretched over a frame. Um, so we, we started to look towards the sort of Macy's Day parade balloons as an option. So we used a vendor that had a lot of experience creating inflatable balloons and we went back and forth and we were having difficulty taking the sort of balloon vernacular and then bending it towards the lantern vernacular. And so we ended up sort of sadly sort of leaving the lantern world, but we ended up with these giant Macy's Day balloons. And then there was a, a real effort to get them illuminated from the inside, which we did do. And also there was a back and forth as to when you're gonna make giant balloons of these characters who who are the mascots that need to be represented? And then to lean also into the idea that these aren't the characters in their own environment. These are the characters in New Jersey in a water park. The idea of, of Shrek running around in his, his you know, swimming togs uh, was appropriate. I love it. I love that in real life, he's just swimming in a swamp and here he's just wearing board shorts. That's right, because <laughs> he's in New Jersey. He's not actually buoyant uh, because of the type of air that's in it. 
and he's suspended by lots of cables and stuff into a structure that's below above as well as a structure inside a rig inside of him that holds all the lights that are needed to illuminate all his limbs how well can you see this from from driving past on the highway pretty easily there was a question for a short period of time as to whether or not it would be a, a hazard because people wouldn't be paying attention to the road but they'd be oh my gosh is that a 50 foot track i see that's in there see isn't that a bit of a compliment it's like your work is too good where people might crash their cars exactly right so so far not good that has not happened to slightly change gears and go back to what we were talking about before. So is it correct to say that you've worked on other Shrek experiences besides DreamWorks Water Park? Yes, yes. We've, we're, we're often, um, con, you know, various companies that are looking to use the, uh, the DreamWorks IPs will come to us to be part of the brainstorming process and maybe the concepting process. Um, we worked for three years on a, an, a water, uh, an entire indoor park that, that uh, like many projects, you'll spend lots and lots of time designing something and it doesn't necessarily mean it's going to be built. And this was one of those projects. Uh, so I was in charge of the Shrekland for that. So I was deep, deeply connected with Shrek for about three years. Um, but he has manifested in, um, in a water park. And the good thing about ideas is that uh, that particular park may not ever manifest, but uh, the ideas are out there uh, and they're readily available to those people that we work with. And so they may come back. Oh, wow. Er, does that mean you're allowed to discuss what you dreamt up or is it still a secret because it might appear somewhere? Yeah, it's still it's still not talkable about, but I, I can say that we were very proud of it and it would have been great. <laughs> oh my God, it would have been great. Uh, th this was wonderful. Thank you so much for answering all of my questions about Shrek. And water slides and things like that. Uh, is there any? Is there anything else that I haven't brought up that you think would be worthy to mention for a, a thirsty Shrek audience? Oh gosh, I think what we tried to do, and I think that's what's unique about the DreamWorks characters, is a sense of humor, and that was sort of our marching orders throughout. And so wherever it was possible, and I think that probably the best example is the the marquee that is outside of the water park where you enter is just the characters on tube slides and you know zipping around abstract sort of uh, waves of water and i think my favorite is donkey who's on an inflatable waffle and i think that that kind of is the symbol of all dreamworks projects is that there needs to be that sort of snarky twist uh to make you laugh and uh whenever we're working on dreamworks project that is our main goal is to is to entertain by being funny Wow, you killed it. Thank you so much for joining me for Shrek Sember. This has been wonderful and I really appreciate it. And I will never forget that Jeffrey Katzenberg took time out of his day to approve Shrek a larger than life uh, on a toilet. Yeah. Thanks so much. Thank you. who's uttered the words Genie Plus knows firsthand that vacations require time, money, planning, energy. And if you put all that effort into enjoying your trip already, why not extend the highlights of that getaway into your everyday with FrameBridge? 
Put that vintage Epcot ticket up in your office and give it a little personality. Surprise your kid with their favorite character's autograph immortalized on the wall of their room. Framebridge makes it so easy and affordable to custom frame any photo, park map, or even cocktail napkin from a theme park hotel bar in just minutes. You can mock up exactly what it'll look like on their website before you even spend a dime. Things ship fast and they ship for free, and their colorful custom framing means they'll not only help you plan your gallery wall, but make sure your place looks cooler than the interiors of that mid-century modern home within Spaceship Earth. I love the mementos I framed with Framebridge so much that I rearranged my entire office so I can enjoy them daily. This is not a bit. This is this is true life. They're the backdrop to my podcast Zoom interviews, my Instagram stories, and even the goofy photos we take of Pearl tip-tapping away at my keyboard like she's a miniature employee. Too often, our favorite memories of a vacation are tucked inside our phone or shoved within a drawer, and it thrills me to no end that because of Framebridge, I can finally be surrounded by my memories. Framebridge makes custom framing easy, affordable, and enjoyable. And on top of that, their happiness guarantee ensures that no matter what, you'll wind up with something you love. To get started, head to framebridge.com, because your precious travel memories shouldn't have to stay in the past. That's framebridge.com. Hi, Carly. It's Melissa from Ohio. I just finished listening to the Parkology podcast, um, and I wanted to ask, have you heard about the couple that ended up going to six Disney, uh, like the Disney American parks in one day. It made me think about that, and it might be another option. As sounds like a semi easier uh, challenge to complete, although it would be a lot more expensive. But I just wondered if you had heard of them, because um, that sounds like a really fun challenge um, that might be slightly more attainable. Thanks. I love your podcast. Bye. Ooh, so I haven't quite heard of any specific couple that has done this that has gone to all four Walt Disney World parks and both Disneyland Resort parks in the same day. But I kind of did this accidentally once. I think I probably hit must have been like four out of the four out of the six. I don't know what the 24 hour rule is. I don't know if it's, you know, like 2 p.m. on a Tuesday to 2 p.m. on a Wednesday or if it's sun up to sundown. But there was a time when I flew from the Pandora, the World of Avatar opening, which actually was the same time as the Volcano Bay opening at Universal. So I might have jammed too many parks in there, but I went from Volcano Bay to Pandora. And then I believe the next morning flew to Disneyland for the opening of Guardians of the Galaxy Mission Breakout. So I was going from coast to coast. I remember I had my husband bring me a burger in the car because that was the only way I was going to eat. That's like the only way I would make both events. So it, um, as someone who has kind of done a dry run of this, I will say it is both uh, expensive and difficult due to traffic exclusively, but it is fun. It is it is very fun to be at both resorts in one day. It makes you feel like anything is possible. So if, if anybody has done it before, has done both resorts or crammed all six parks in or is interested in it, let me know because I agree. It does sound like a parkeology adjacent marathon that is a little more amazing race than parkeology itself. Uh, trying to ride every single ride in Walt Disney World, it requires so much strategy and effort. And while you can't quite cram it in right now because of park hopping, being able to hit all four parks and then flying to Disneyland Resort, I mean, I guess because you'd have to do all the parks after in the afternoon, you, you, might, you might be able to do it if 
maybe if Disneyland is open late enough, probably not. I, I always forget how long the flight from Florida to California is. Anyway, uh, once things do fully open up again, I, I think it's doable. And I challenge anybody willing to give it a shot. Thanks so much for calling. Ooh, what a fun idea. Hey, Carly. This is Devin calling in, um, local Southern Californian. Go to Disneyland all of the time. Uh, I have been to Disney World a couple of times. However, my husband and I are planning a somewhat last minute trip to Disney World over the weekend of New Year's, which in most of the past I have assumed has been a horrible time to go. However, it may be the only chance that we get to go experience the 50th anniversary celebration. So I'm just looking to pack in as much as we possibly can. Do you have any tips on maybe what the highlights of the 50th celebration are, how to make the most of your visit um, during an expectedly really crowded time? Would love any tips that you might have. Thanks. Okay, yes, I got you. But I want to let you know from the start that I don't have too many 50th recommendations for you because I more so want to make sure you're able to do regular vacation stuff since it will be such a busy time of the year. So I'm just going to focus on efficiency across the park and you'll be able to soak up the 50th celebrations regardless. Now, there is a lot of New Year's specific advice online. I myself do not visit the parks during that time of year, but Tom Bricker over at Disney Tourist Blog always has a ton of great stuff. I remember... Uh, years ago coming across a post of his that was about which bathrooms are least busy. So there's really a great resource there that I would advise you to maybe plan your New Year's evening around <laughs> because things are going to get that busy. I also, as always, recommend Disney Food Blog at All Years, who are very on top of celebrations and will provide you with much detail. Now, in terms of planning what you're doing, I'm I'm not sure which parks you have reservations for, but it was announced earlier this week that the special fireworks for Magic Kingdom, Fantasy in the Sky, will indeed be running on December 30th and 31st. So seeing it the evening of the 30th is likely the best choice you can make. And that way you're freed up to go to Epcot on the 31st, which feels like the right vibe for a party New Year's Eve celebration. Also, for the duration of your trip, be sure to plan your park hopping accordingly. While I am currently fact-checking this, and I will insert a weird piece of audio here if anything changes. Hi, Future Carly here. I just wanted to let you know that I was not able to get a response for this next bit before we went to air with this episode. But stay tuned to my social media. I will update you if anything is different from what I say next. Thanks. I believe New Year's Eve won't affect the rule that you can get back into the park you have a reservation for, even if you leave and come back. Before, there were different waves of restrictions when parks reached capacity, but now with this park reservation system and some people hopping in and others having a dedicated entry there, I do believe that they will uphold the rule that if you leave the park where your reservation is at, so let's say you have a Epcot reservation for the 31st. If you leave Epcot and come back, you will be able to get in if other people who are hopping in cannot make it inside. From there, if you're trying to do a proper vacation during this very crowded time and hitting your favorites, I'd lean into it and splurge on Lightning Lane, a la carte, individual attraction selection passes to ensure you get to do what you'd like. It's a convenience that is justifiably pricey when they add up, but for your favorite rides at a time like this, it's worth the splurge. This is what it's there for, and it's best used at a time like this. Remember, you can book those at 7 a.m. each day if you're staying at a Disney hotel or when the park opens if you're not, but just because of how many people are going to be there, I anticipate that 
the lightning lane a la carte entries for things like Rise of the Resistance will go quickly. So be sure to be up early and on top of it. Also, dining reservations are likely full up. So I highly recommend touring plans, both to give you an itinerary based on crowd levels that you can rely on to board as many attractions as possible while you're in the park. Mixing that plus Genie Plus on certain days is kind of the best way to hit everything. But also because touring plans has this dining reservation finder tool, which will alert you to when specific dining reservations open up from cancellations. It's fantastic. Highly recommended. I live by it. It's how I get any dining reservation because I usually book my travel last minute and it's worth the subscription alone. Just remember that each time it finds a reservation, if you don't grab it in time and you know, you, and someone else gets it and you just want to try again, you do have to go in and reset it each time. So don't expect it to automatically reload with options. You have to go back and select your time and day all over again, or just, you know, make sure it's still searching for you. It's a fantastic tool and I love it. Besides that, I mean, enjoy yourself. I think that's the main objective of this. Yes, it'll be busy, but you're still in Walt Disney World. You're there for New Year's and it's going to be so magical. So have the best time. And if you have any other questions, please don't hesitate to reach out. Happy New Year. Hi, Carly. This is Courtney calling from Seattle. I just had to drop you this quick note of thanks. This weekend, I hosted a Hanukkah party and we ran all three Shrek films in the background. It led to hilarious and meaningful conversations about Shrek and representation, your podcast, which my guests knew about, the darker past of Disney, like the Hollywood Blacklist and Union Strike Days, and it's all because of inspiration from Shrek Sember. So thanks again. Happy belated Hanukkah from all of us up here. Have a great day. Oh my gosh, this makes me so happy. Thank you so much for calling and telling me all about your Shrek Sember festivities. I appreciate it so much. I know that some people are, you know, not really understanding of the entire Shrek Sember situation, but it's fun. Why not? Why not celebrate this animated film to the highest degree possible? There really is no end to the stories. There's no end to them. And I love finding new things to discuss in the realm of Shrek Sember. Thank you so much for calling and sharing this with me and happy holidays. That's our show. Thank you all so much for listening. And thank you to Don Carson from the Hedema Group for coming on Very Amusing. You can get Very Amusing and Shrek's Ember on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Please rate, review, and subscribe on Apple specifically. I think mostly because that's kind of the only place you can do that. It's like a holiday gift you don't have to pay for that I greatly appreciate, and so do future fans of the show. It helps them find it, and so I really, really, really appreciate any time you take to leave a review or just to plunk some stars down. You can find me, Carly Wiesel, at Carly Wiesel on Twitter and Instagram, or at my Facebook group, The Foamily, at facebook.com slash groups slash Carly Wiesel. This episode of Very Amusing was edited propitiously by Jeff Fox. Thanks so much for listening. See you real soon. Hey, honey, it is mom. And of course, it's late again. I'm a night owl. I don't know what it is. I'm up all night long. But um, I wanted to say that I loved that you went with Rebecca to Universal so she's great, number one, and because that's when your career with Disney started, when you started writing about it at your bachelorette party. 
So it's kind of nice that you two went again together. That's great. Okay, back to Disney stuff. So I don't know how you would even find Sam Summers, but he was so good. I have to tell you I loved his accent, and I could listen to his voice. I just listened to it all day long. I'm going to play it again. And my phone has the same exact male Surrey voice. And, but I make him call me Beautiful Audrey, so I'm that beautiful voice. Yes, I do that, but I know that's not Disney content. Sorry. I just had to throw that one in. But I have never heard of anyone getting a PhD about Shrek. This was so exciting to me. He's a Shrek expert. And then I learned about that remix. That was pretty interesting. But Shrek to me is Jewish, and I'm still going with that. And, of course, I want you to know, Joan Rivers was 100% Jewish. So I think that Shrek is 100% Jewish as well. But I think that we got to go with you. And as long as Sam agrees, this is very cool. I heard this woman call in, um, the one who said she goes to college, and she listens to you in her car, and it's like having a friend with you. I love that so much. I think that's the best compliment. I really like that. That was sweet. And I just want to leave this podcast saying Shrek is king, but he's a Jewish king. And I'm leaving with that. I love you, honey. Talk to you soon. And great week. Talk to you later. Bye-bye.